Uh, today, we are continuing our series that Pastor Aaron started last week, that Christmas is not your birthday. And the reason of that is because our birthdays, as we celebrate our birthdays, are pretty much just an end to us. Like, it's all about us. And unless you share my birthday, it's not really about you. There's a lady uh, who I've known for a lot of years who has the same birthday as me. I have no clue how old she is, but every time I see her around birthday, I'm like, happy birthday. And she says, happy birthday, because it's the same day. But for us, we're looking at Christmas because the blessing of Christmas is all about God. And because it's about him, that means it trickles down to us. That means there's things in Christmas for you and me. And so last week we looked at Mary and we looked at Zacchaeus, two people, one of them very much entrenched in the birthday or the Christmas story so much that she made the stable. Uh, The other person is kind of like, how does this all work out? And the reality of it is something that Mary says, everything that I have is God's. It's the overflow of worship and generosity. And so within this following Jesus, within making Christmas not about our birthday, but about worshiping Jesus, there's a crucial shift that happens because God pulls us toward relationships. That's a vertical relationship with him and a horizontal relationship with other people. And he begins to pull us away from stuff pulls us away from stuff. There's a line that Mary has in a song that she's singing because she's so excited that Pastor Aaron talked about last week. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Like she's giving up things that she holds dear. She's giving up her reputation. She's giving up her future. All these things to draw near to God. And through that, we see the goodness of Christmas. Through that, we see the beauty of Christmas. This idea that things become less important and God becomes more important in us, through us, and around us. And what we're going to talk about today is that that thing actually has a shadow side to it. That idea of God becoming more important, of of relationships becoming bigger and things becoming smaller, that actually has a shadow side in it. And we're going to look at two different stories that bring that out. That idea of, of what do I have to do to get there? What do I have to do to say the right things, do the right things, look the right way? What has to come out of me to do that? And so every year around Christmas, this happens regardless of how we celebrate, regardless of what we do. There's this scheme, there's this idea that, that begins to take heart and take root in our heart if we let it. And some of it's driven by commercialism, some of it's driven by our culture, whatever. But this thing about envy that takes root in our hearts. Like what Andre said earlier, it's the 40 item gift list of this is everything that I want. And if that runs rampant in us, that's gonna defeat everything good in us. Envy is one of the 10 commandments, one of the rules that God gives his people. This is how I want you to live as you walk into the land that I'm outright gonna give you. He says, I don't want you to be envious. Don't let that be part of how you live. And the thing is, is envy is the proud parent of greed, comparison, and insecurity. Of greed, comparison, and insecurity. So what we're going to look at today is the fact that if we don't uproot envy, greed, comparison out of our lives, regardless of how much we want to look like we have it all together, reality is going to win out and we're not going to have it all together. Regardless of how much we say, I'm just going to do all the right things. And that discomfort inside of me is I'm just going to pretend that it doesn't exist and nobody's ever going to know. Regardless of how deep down we push that, it's not going to stay down for all that long. Reality is eventually going to come crushing it. It's going to spill out of us. And the thing about this coming out of us is it never comes out at the time we want it and the way that we want it. It's always the wrong time, the wrong volume, the wrong person, all that stuff. And it will never stop because our heart is hungry for more all the time. 
So Sunday night, uh, we had family night. It was the first time we had ever done anything like that here. And we cleared out the chairs. We brought in tables. We played some games. We watched some fun videos. We made awesome Advent gardens that get our hearts ready for, Easter, or ready for Christmas and reading some stuff each day that gets us ready for that. And during that, we played a video. And if you remember, you saw the video. You know exactly how this is going to end. But this is an example of what happens when envy takes root in our hearts and we think, you know what, I can, I can keep it up. I can make sure that everything looks good. Everything's going to be okay. Media team, let's play the first part of it and then we'll pause it. Okay, pause. I pause it real quick. Pause. Okay, cool. So, awesome. Um, so, I feel good about this. All right, so the way that it works is now we're going to choose. Cool. Do we think this is going to end well? Thumbs up, well. Thumbs down, poorly. All right. Anybody optimistic? Nobody. Let's roll tape. Let's see what happens. So it's got some forward momentum. Just push. Go hard. Go. That's how it's going to be for all of us if we let envy, greed, comparison take root. And the thing is, is that that's actually part of the Christmas story. So Matthew, verse, Matthew chapter 2. This is where we read about Jesus' birth, and we're going to encounter a guy who's consumed by this stuff. And it's a name that we all know if you know Bible stories and stuff like that, but it's not a name that anybody uses anymore, which means it doesn't end well. So Matthew chapter two, verse one, he says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod, there's the name, was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Like everything looks good up to that point. He's asking the people who have an idea about where Jesus is born. He said, hey, tell me where this baby is going to be born because I want to go worship him. That's good. Like this is a long try and this is a long travel for a guy who doesn't have a car. He's going to be hoofing it in the desert before AC and he wants to go find out what Jesus is. But the thing is, is that envy caused, to do, caused Herod to do good things with bad motives. It caused them to do good things with bad motives. Let's skip to verse 12. Keep reading. It says, when, the, uh, when it was time to leave, the people from the east returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. A dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. It's that good things with bad motives. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. 
Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for their dead. It's good things with bad motives and envy put a shelf life on Herod's good deeds. In this story, it's only a matter of time. We, we begin to see it. He says, I wanna see the king. I wanna learn about where Jesus is. And it's like this timer starts between the person who says the right things and everybody's a little bit skeptical to the moment that everything comes out. And he's saying the right things, he's doing the right things, but his heart is gone. And I think we see, we see people like that in society all the time where they're saying the right things. You can tell that they're putting up, a fa- of putting up a front and it's like the timer is ticking in their life too until their insides become public for everyone to see. And then it's a question of, man, how did, they, how did we ever get fooled by that? How did we ever think that they were a good person? Realistically though, this isn't us, right? None of us are king blank or queen blank. We have a job, we live in houses, none of us live in a palace. Like, so, so how does this relate to us? Right, so now we're gonna fast forward to Acts chapter four. So what's happened here to give us a background is Jesus who was born obviously survived because they went to Egypt and then they came back from Egypt and he grew up and all this stuff. Uh, and part of that, part of him growing up is coming to earth on a mission, a mission covered and blanketed and initiated by God's love for you and for me that he saw us, saw the brokenness inside of us that separated, separated us from God. And God said, I'm sending Jesus into the world to be born on Christmas because he's gonna die on Good Friday, rise from the dead, on Easter, and in doing so, pay for the sin that separates us and God. That's the mission. So what's happened up to this point, we're going to get to in Acts, is that Jesus has came into the world, he's risen from the dead, and he's set this shockwave of a movement throughout the known world where everybody went everywhere telling people about who Jesus was, that he is the son of God who had died for our sins, risen from the dead, the tomb was empty, and everything changes. So where we're gonna jump in is at the grassroots of this movement that now we're part of because we're part of the church and this is the beginning of the church. So what they had, they had a huge vision, they had lots of followers and they had zero money. So let's jump into the story. Acts 4.32, it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was on them all. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came to the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and he brought the money to the apostles. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So envy causes us to do good things with bad motives, just like it did for Herod. This is like, we step into this. We sit in his shoes all the time. Envy causes us to do good things with bad motives. So in the story, read is the couple, they sell some property and then they bring, all, they bring some of the money to the church and say, this is all the money. The problem here isn't that they kept some from themselves, 
We're going to talk about finances a little bit. But as you and I get paid because we work our jobs and stuff, 10% of it comes right back to the church. This is obedience to Jesus. This is tithing. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. The other 90% is up to you. Really, like God's plan, God's order for our finances is you give, you save, and then you live. If you brought 100% of your paycheck into the church and you are our top donor every single month and you drop it off on Sunday, it's great. And then on Monday, you're like, dude, I need food. Pastor Ken, can you help me pay my mortgage? We have like lights are off, gas is off. We forgot to pay pg e before he gave everything. That would get really annoying, okay? Because you're our top donor and now we gotta give everything back. That, that'd be, God says, I want you to give. 10%, I want you to save some, and I want you to live on the rest. So the point isn't that they kept some for themselves. The point is that they lied. The reason that they lied is what we talked about a few minutes ago. It's envy. It's comparison. It's the idea that we can do everything on the outside, and we want to be seen as financially generous without any personal change. What did we say at the beginning? That, that as God gets in our heart, we're going to care about relationship with him, relationship with other people more than we care about stuff, more than we care about our reputation, more than we care about things, people believing that we are things that we aren't. And so comparison is ruining these people. And what it does is envy puts a shelf life on our good deeds. This happens to us too. Envy puts a shelf life on our good deeds. The story continues. Then Peter said to Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wish. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as, as, soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up and wrapped him in a sheet and then took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was, the, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you ever think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Like, this is crazy. The thing is, Peter, the guy who's saying everything, he's not offended. It's not like he's angry and he's saying, I'm going to get you because you're trying to make my organization look bad. This is the holiness of God protecting the first five of the church. Okay, we understand how that is with babies. It's all about the first five years and we need to get them started in the right path. This is the church. This is God's baby that he's growing up. This is all of us. And he's saying, I'm going to have my house be a house of generosity and a house of honesty to the point where he's not going to tolerate it. He's not going to tolerate people giving, lying about it so that they look good. He said, that's not going to happen here. And God protects his mission, even when it means exposing our envy. So what happens after this story? Because this isn't the huge, come be part of this church. You might die, but the rest of us, it's going to be really good for us. This isn't that story. 
Story continues. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. That's God's mission continuing to go forward. He's saying, I love you enough to let you choose. So God's not going to come in and immediately just fix stuff in our heads. He's going to give us the opportunity. Are we going to choose to take off greed, envy, comparison, financial hoarding, and we're going to say, okay, God, everything that I have is yours. Same words from Mary last week, whose future hung in the balance. She decides, what am I going to do with this news that I've just gotten from God? It's the same way with us as we look at our bank statements, as we go online to see what's going on. As we look at that screen, everything that's on there is God's. Everything that's in the balance sheet is God's. And God lets us choose how we react to what we have, how we react to what we give, how we react to whatever your Christmas gift ability is this year compared to all the stuff that we see on TV. There's a verse that we read in Shape this week that gives us another picture of God letting people choose. There's one instance in the book of Romans where God is pushing this way, people keep pushing this way, and the language is, okay, finally, God just takes his hands off and I'm gonna abandon you to your own decisions. In Jeremiah 24, 34, It says this, he says, since you have not obeyed me by setting your countrymen free, I will set you free to be destroyed by war, disease, and famine. He's saying, I'm going to let you choose. And God gives people the result of their choices. So what makes this story happen? How come this story, like, is even even in here? Like, why did this happen? And I think it's one of three reasons. One is that Ananias and Sapphira didn't really think that the Holy Spirit was real. So therefore, lying doesn't matter. It's kind of like lying about the tooth fairy. It's like nobody's getting hurt. Tooth fairy. Secondly, it's, it's maybe the Holy Spirit is real, but not all-knowing. And if it's not all-knowing, then it doesn't know that there's a lie. Or third, it could be all-knowing, but it's full of tolerance. You know, it's, it's easy. They're going to let me do, God is going to let me do whatever I want. And the reality is because we don't die for the things that we do, it's God's grace poured out on us. When we are captivated and controlled by envy, comparison, bad motives, all these things matter to God. And what God does is he gives us the opportunity to choose to turn from envy, comparison, jealousy, which spoil our hearts, which ruin our hearts because we can't rejoice with other people over their things and we can't rejoice over the things that we have. He gives us a choice to turn from that and turn to him. So the last point, I was writing this this week, just thinking, how am I going to end this? And I wanted to say, we get to choose how we live and how we are remembered. It's actually not true. People get misremembered all the time. And we find out years later about how, whatever, who they really are. I think the, the message from Jesus in this isn't that. It isn't a moment for us to put our flag in the ground and say, this is how I'm going to do things now. And everybody's going to see me this way because that's how we ended up in the first stories that we read. I think the message from Jesus here is that God invites us, take, invites us to take off envy and put on his heart of generosity. God invites us to take off envy and put on his heart of generosity. I think the whole message of Christmas is that Jesus came because God was giving a savior. Because God who was rich became poor so that we could be rich through salvation in Jesus. 
This doesn't always mean new cars, new houses, and all that stuff. But it means that our sins forever are taken care of. Because all that we have has been given to God. Again, we're saying in the words of Mary, your will, not my will, be done. We're saying in the words of Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. So how do we step into generosity today? In the season of consumerism, in the season of gimme, 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 and all that stuff, how do we live lives of generous people? We've got one thing for today, one thing for this month, and one thing for next year. The today thing is start tithing. Tithing is giving 10% of everything that comes in straight back to God. And if you're young here and your job and your paycheck are pathetic, this is the time to start because 10% of $5 ain't that much. You get older, start making tons of money, 10% of your parents' paycheck, that's a lot more than what you're making. So you start early so you can build in the habit and build in the practice of giving stuff away. We start today. It's an obedience issue. God gives us the 100 and says, out of the 100%, I want you to honor me with 10%. And you do that through the local church. And so my challenge to you is to start tithing today. You know your budget. You can figure out how. The question is, do you want to? And as we step out of envy and, and take on God's heart for our finances, for generosity, this is part of it. Is that we step into giving 10% back to him. Monthly. Is December. This is 12. So this is the end of a lot of people's fiscal year. There's lots of places that would love for you to do some year-end giving with them, us included. We'll have some stuff for that next week. But my challenge for you is, as is a family, pick something you want to do. And then for those of you who have kids at home, talk about it with them. Say, this is why we're doing this. This is how God has provided for us. And so we're going to do this. If you think they're not going to pay attention, what you're doing is you're setting a trajectory for their life that God gives 100%, we give 10% the back, and then the rest of it we're open-handed and we're generous with. Kids remember these things. We're building a habit in your family's life that we're going to be generous people. And generosity doesn't have an income bracket on it. It's one of those things that it's a heart issue that guides everything. So today, start tithing. Talk about it with your family. Monthly, find something to give to. Talk about it with your family. And yearly, as you look at 2022, make a plan of how you're going to give stuff away. Not talking about a yard sale. Nobody wants that stuff. <laughs> the ethos of the Christian life is that God came and he gave his life for us. For, so for us to follow Jesus' example means we're going to be flexible, means we're going to be open-handed, means that we are going to give things away. We're going to give away financially. We're going to call it tithing. And God blesses that. And God spreads the 90% to cover the 100% to make up for what we have given. We also do that with our emotions as we let people into our lives, even though oh, they're drama. Everybody's drama. It's reality. But we open our hearts. We let people in. We open up our time, which is super scarce for a lot of us. And we spend time in areas with people that we never get it back. And the reason we do that is because God so loved the world that he gave. Not that he demanded, not that he coerced, not that he tricked us, but because God gave, everything else in our world is open-handed. That we become more like him, we get drawn more to him. And that's gonna mean that we get pulled away from stuff on our way to becoming more like Jesus. And that's where we find peace. That's where we find out that Christmas is so much better than our birthday because what it does is it doesn't just transform our stuff. It transforms our hearts. 
because God came to give, came to serve, came to save. And that's us. Let's stand and pray.